Era podcast. Research matters. Education Unmasked. In this podcast series, we interview education leaders to learn about the work their institutions are undertaking throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. So hello and thank you for listening to our Bira podcast, Education Unmasked, a conversation with the Chartered College of Teaching. My name's Tanya Evenden hope I'm Provost and Professor of Education at Plymouth Marjon University and Marjon University Cornwall. I also lead the Bira SIG on Education Improvement and Effectiveness, and um, I'm really happy to be joining Bira Council as an elected member in September. Today, I'm really delighted to be joined by Professor Dame Alison Peacock, who's the CEO of the Chartered College of Teaching, Kat Scutt, who's the Director of the Education and Research at the Chartered College of Teaching, and Professor Sam Twizzleton, OBE, who's Vice President External at the Chartered College of Teaching. And as you are probably fully aware, the Chartered College of Teaching is the professional body for teachers of all sectors in England, and has a clear aim to bridge the gap between research and practice for teachers and education leaders um, in our small nation. So it's with great pleasure that I'd like to introduce you to Alison. So Alison, you've been CEO of the Chartered College of Teaching since 2017. Yes, thank you, Tanya. So my goodness me, 2017, it's really rushed by three and a half years, the Chartered College has been striving to raise the status of the teaching profession and to build a professional body. And of course, um, you know, we had previously the General Teaching Council, which wasn't universally loved by everybody, um, and that was a regulatory body. And of course, the Charter College of Teaching is very different. We're a voluntary membership organisation. We had initial funding from government, which we are now independent of, so we're now self-sustaining. And our whole raison d'etre really is to build the expertise of the teaching profession to enable teachers to be that much more engaged with uh, research, both thinking about their own intuitive practice, but also learning very much more about studies that have been done. Um, and certainly members of BIRA who are listening to this will be very pleased, I'm sure, to hear that. It's about bringing the two together. And that's very much at the heart of, of what we're doing at the Chartered College. Being a CEO, having been a head teacher beforehand, it's a hugely complex task because we've got a publishing team, we have a team that's focusing on standards and qualifications because we offer the chartered route for teachers and for school leaders, as Kat um, will talk about. So there are many facets to what we're doing, um, but what we're really keen to do is to build the status of the teaching profession and to work with teachers as members and other educationalists to really put the profile of teaching as an expert profession really on the map. So that's what we've been up to. And prior to that, I was a head teacher. And 10 years ago, if you'd asked me, or if you'd said to me, here's a crystal ball, Alison, this is what you're going to do in the future. You're going to go and lead a professional body where there hasn't been one before. And you're going to try to pull everybody together in a space that says we should be more research engaged. I would have said to you, I'd have said, that's not going to be something that's going to work. And yet actually, I'm really passionate about the mission of what we're trying to achieve and also hugely encouraged by what we've done so far. So lots to be optimistic about, I think. Well, you've done an amazing job, Alison. I know that when we met at the Eden Project, when you just started your role and you came to Cornwall to talk to teachers about the Chartered College of Teaching, 
it was challenging, exciting, different opportunity for you because you talked to me about being a primary school head teacher and, and that this was going to be very different. So is the role what you imagined it would be? Well, you know, there's an element of making up as I go along, to be honest with you, Tanya, because this is a completely new venture. So everything that we do and have done over the last three and a half years, we're doing for the first time. There isn't a roadmap. And one of the things that was really fundamental was to work in partnership with others, to really not to come in and say, stand aside, we've got all the answers, but to come in not as the new kids on the block that were just going to sort of, as I say, push everybody else out of the way. This is about saying what what already exists that we can align with, that, that we can inform teachers about, that we can enable teachers to feel confident to engage with. And the issue around research, I worked with Professor Robin Alexander for a number of years. I was privileged to work with him at the point where he was disseminating the findings from the Cambridge Primary Review, if you recall. And I've just got a quote here I'd just like to share with you because I think it's so so underlies what we're trying to achieve. So in the Cambridge Primary Review, Robin talks about an alternative view of professionalism. And he says, teachers should be able to give a coherent justification for their practices, citing one, evidence, two, pedagogical principle, and three, educational aim, rather than offering the unsafe defence of compliance with what others expect. Anything less is educationally unsound. Now, I remember sharing that quote, discussing that with Mary Jane Drummond from the University of Cambridge. And Mary Jane was hugely ambitious for teachers, but she said, this is so unrealistic. How can we really expect teachers to be able to articulate their thinking in this way? And yet now, where we are in 2020, we do expect increasingly that teachers will be able to think of cite evidence in terms of what they're doing, that, that, that they're not just organising their classrooms on the basis of this is how it's always been organised here, or this is how Mrs Jones did it before me, or, you know, this is what feels right. We're, we're wanting to help teachers to articulate what intuitively works for them based on their experience and the ways in which they can connect with their young people, but also build their expertise through things like the Chartered Teacher Programme, so that they are able to enhance that intuitive practice with research, with others' ideas, and then to publish some of that. It's something that teachers perhaps have been very diffident about in the past, still are, but we're trying really hard to work with them to enable that process to be something they can be really proud of. So if someone uh, approaches us with an idea for something to be published within one of the themes for our journal, we then work with them through a peer-reviewed process to make sure that by the time it's in print, it's most unlikely that anybody would look at that and say, oh, hang on a minute, you've got this wrong. We don't want to do anything that's going to undermine the teacher voice. What we want to do is to build the teacher voice up and uh, really celebrate that in partnership with working with academics. And that's a really exciting place to be. Really interesting to hear you talking about teachers as researchers, because you know, at Vera, We've been very keen to engage with practitioner research and rethink it so that it's demonstrating the whole range of research that goes on in schools by teachers and with schools by academics. And so the things that the Chartered College are doing to meet its aim of bridging the gap between research and practice are becoming very clear now. I, I think so. And I think the I went to the meeting that uh, Kevin Collins led when the Education Endowment Foundation was five years old. And he was saying at that meeting that there was still 
a way to go in terms of enabling teachers to go beyond things like the headlines in the Sutton Trust Toolkit. And then I think in the space of time that the college has existed, the work that we've been doing in that space and doing things like coming to to Beira um, and bringing teachers with us who presented case studies about their own work. I think for the first time, certainly in my career, we're beginning to get to that point where there's a, there's a greater interest in evidence. And you know, by being a member of the Chartered College, teachers are able to access vast array of research. They're able to access the research database that they wouldn't otherwise be able to access unless they were doing a course of further professional study at a university. Making sure that it's, it's an everyday expectation that as a profession, you're also expected to be a lifelong learner feels to me really important. So I'm encouraged by the work that we're doing in that space. And it does sit really comfortably with your quote you just gave from Robin, doesn't it? The fact that these aims are attainable and are being attained, that teachers are researchers in their own environments and can impact at a classroom level, at a school level. And I know from my own master's students and doctoral students at a policy level as well. Yes. Yes. I mean, obviously, one of the things that the college is trying to do alongside all of the work that Kat is so brilliantly leading in terms of the research and education is to have a voice about pedagogy and research should inform policy. So at the beginning of COVID-19, for example, I was invited to be part of a group working with ministers at the DfE to, alongside unions and others, to really try to find a way through some really intractable problems. And you could say, and people listening to this might say, well, that hasn't worked terribly well. The reality is at least we've had a seat at the table and at least we've been able to say what we think teachers would want us to say, even if we're not always sure that um, everything has been heard. But when we decided to conduct the research into Education in Times of Crisis, which we published in May, the first of our uh, big reports related to the pandemic, I was able to send the first draft of that document to SAGE, to Number 10, to the DfE, uh, to help them with their thinking and their decision making. And it strikes me that this is what we need from a professional body. We need a professional body in the same way that we would have in medicine with those bodies that have been in, in place for, in some cases, several hundreds of years. We need a professional body that has a seat at the table in terms of trying to make sure that the best possible policy decisions are taken. And as I say, sometimes it's incredibly frustrating because even though we've got a seat at the table, it doesn't necessarily mean the outcomes are what we would wish. But on the other hand, I certainly know that there are some things where they definitely have listened. Subsequent to our, our producing our first report, which we then published quite widely, we then sent out a survey to our membership and we were delighted to have several thousand colleagues responding to that survey in really quite a detailed way so that we could then produce the second iteration with teacher and educationalist views on what we should do, what the priorities would be, what the issues would, were likely to be in school, what teachers were worried about, what they have found has worked well during this time. Ironically, there have been some things that have gone well, but also what the challenges are right now and what they may well be in the future. And so that engagement with our membership then goes way beyond somebody like me just pontificating or our research team um, citing evidence related to some other situation. It's, it's right now, it's related to what's going on in our schools or not in our schools, as the case may be, right at this moment. And that makes our work 
I think, really important. I couldn't agree more, Alison. And I know that Bira supports this approach and has uh, written a report called Close to Practice, looking at action research, practitioner research, and all of the evidence that's coming out of schools and how we utilize that to translate it into practice. Um, there are other um, educationalists who've been uh, looking at research and uh, they use the, the term knowledge mobilization, so translating research for knowledge mobilization in the classroom. And so utilizing um, what teachers know in a way that's replicable um, in other situations is so important. And it leads us nicely really into the role that Kat has with the Charter College of Teaching as Director of Education and Research. So Kat, if you could tell us a little bit more about what your job involves and how you're supporting evidence-based practice um, across the Charter College of Teaching, that would be great. Thank you. Yes, as you said, the discussion you've just had really leads very well into this. I think I have one of the most exciting, interesting jobs in education. I feel incredibly privileged to do what I do. A huge part of my role is around helping to connect practice and research together and obviously research and practice. But I think it's important that we see that going in both directions. We see ourselves as playing a key role in connecting uh, teachers and academics, connecting teachers with research, but also helping researchers to really be doing things that are supporting what teachers need. Um, really exciting things happening around that at the moment. As, as you said, Tanya just mentioned sort of close to practice research and things like that at work that Vera has been supporting. I also started at the Charter College uh, just after Alison, I think a couple of weeks after Alison, um, and it's been a really exciting journey with a kind of developing role for me. One of the first things that I had to do was to see how we developed our journal um, from the, the very kind of start of the Charter College. The idea that we would have a peer-reviewed journal for practitioners was at the heart of what we were aiming to do. But when I joined, it was still very open as to exactly what that would be. Uh, we'd done a huge amount of consultation with teachers to understand what would be most useful. But actually creating that was, was one of my first jobs. And it was incredibly exciting to be able to do that. And it's also really exciting, sort of three years on, to be so many issues into our journal impact and to see the feedback that we get from those. And for that to be really something that I think is now very recognised in the sector. Uh, one of the real highlights of being a member, we hear how much people love reading the content of that. I'm proud every time I look at an issue and see the really good mix of articles from teachers, from school leaders, from researchers and academics um, in the UK, but also from around the world. And that real sense that that we're connecting the amazing education community and really representing a lot of different voices there is really, really exciting. The other sort of aspect to my role is overseeing our teacher development and teacher accreditation work. At the heart of that is our chartered teacher programme, our flagship programme, recognising teachers' expertise, um, which is a programme that takes just over a year teachers who have substantial experience in the classroom and want their expertise to be recognised complete a series of very rigorous and certainly challenging assessments, including a written exam, in order to achieve chartered teacher status. And again, the feedback that we've had from the first cohorts going through that programme is that whilst being incredibly challenging and thus feeling something that they're really proud of when they achieve that status, it's also been hugely developmental. And although it's about recognising their expertise, it's also really helped them to develop their practice. Alongside that, we're now developing our chartered programme for school leaders, which will be, will be launching shortly for recruitment from September to start the programme in early 2021. And that's, again, hugely exciting, this idea that, that school leaders who have real expertise in using evidence in how they lead their schools 
uh, will be able to be recognised for that and to develop that through our new chartered programme. Finally, there's a whole range of other things that sort of fall under my role, which is supporting the team with developing incredible online learning and uh, publishing resources on our, our member platforms, things like My College and the Education Exchange, which is open to all members, uh, sorry, to all teachers, not just members. Um, and those really are our sort of digital platforms where we help people to engage in really high quality online learning from short courses through to much longer programs. We've had MOOCs on Future Learn as well, which have been really well received, free and open to anyone to engage with. And a whole range of different content on my college, which includes research summaries, it includes sort of reviews of whole range of research around key topics. It includes examples of what teachers are doing in school, some amazing videos that we've been able to produce showing showing what's happening in classrooms around the country. And it's really exciting to see that this grows and develops all the time. Um, and that's just a, a really, really exciting thing to be doing. I'm overwhelmed, actually, Kat, by how much the Chartered College has done in such a short amount of time. And in relation to evidence-based practice and evidence informing what's going on in schools by teachers and by school leaders, it's brilliant. I mean, if we take those one at a time, Impact, as you know, I've been a guest editor on Impact and see the value of bringing together practitioners and academics and those who are actually just beginning to engage with evidence-based practice in one place. It, it has such a great close to practice feel that allows things to happen as a consequence. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I, you know, I think this is something that has been increasingly recognised. You talked a bit earlier about kind of translation of research. And, and of course, there's an important role there. But it's also that it's not always just been a case that the way in which research, research is presented is not relevant or helpful for teachers, but actually that sometimes the, the real challenges that teachers face day to day in the classroom are not things that they necessarily feel there's research to support them with. Um, and so the sorts of things that we've been looking at are, are how we can bring together the most useful research to, to really respond to the challenges that teachers and school leaders are facing. But having a kind of good understanding of what evidence suggests might work best is really helpful in, in meaning that teachers are able to make informed decisions and that they feel confident in explaining and articulating the decisions that they're making and why they're, they're making those decisions for, uh, for the best outcomes for their pupils. And it makes it really timely. One of the things I've noticed about the Charter College of Teaching reports that come out is that they use a wide range of evidence bases but they're actually on issues that matter now and are for teachers now. I know you said earlier that you're the new kids on the block and there, there was a feeling that there may be tension between what you're reporting and what academic educational research is reporting in, in possibly not as timely a manner because of the way in which funding has to be acquired and things like that. What is it that allows you to respond in that in that timely way? What is it about the Charter College of Teaching that makes you able to be fleet of foot in your response? Yes, well, it's it's because we have uh, in-house researchers that we've been able to build in as part of our team. That means that you're quite right. We don't have to wait for the next funding round and put in massive bids in order to be able to be responsive. We do want to do that. We do work with universities and others on those longer term projects, but we're, we're able to be agile in terms of responding to issues that matter in the moment for the teaching profession. We don't want to be doing anything that's about stepping on anyone's toes. This is about trying to amplify excellence. It's about working in partnerships. So 
regardless of COVID, the job of being a teacher is far more complicated than it ever used to be. It's always been complicated. It's always been tiring and exhausting. And now suddenly we've got an overlay of worry about infection and just general anxiety about what's happening to us and, and you know the exam system that we've seen this year has been frankly shambolic you know there's so many things that teachers are having to wrestle with over and above just doing their day job and it feels really important that we have a professional body that's speaking up hugely positively always on behalf of the profession to say here's an example of excellence and why don't you read this and look at this video and you know, we're constantly trying to navigate a path that says not there's one right way of doing things, but in the very many different ways in which people respond to teaching, there is excellent practice. Let's share that. And it feels as though brokering that practice and doing it in a way that is not about siding with one part of the argument, but that is really open to ideas in a collegiate way is very much needed. And I've seen this again and again, that the Chartered College of Teaching is very generous with the resources, the knowledge, the information sets that it's collecting and sharing in different social media and different platforms. Something that we've discussed hugely as staff body, but also with our councils, that ultimately the Chartered College of Teaching is about supporting and developing the whole teaching profession. That's what we want to do. We want to raise the status of the teaching profession. We want to ensure that teachers are recognized for their expertise and have a voice. We want them to feel connected and recognized for all of the things that they're doing. And that means, of course, as a membership body, we have to make sure that we're offering fantastic resources to support and engage our members. But also, where possible, we want to make sure that we can make some of these things available to start to influence the whole teaching profession. And it's always a balance to get that right. But with things like the education exchange, it's exciting to be able to really focus on the sort of connection and collaboration and community building globally as well as in the UK bringing together a whole range of voices alongside the things that we do specifically for our members like our new early career hub which is really designed to support teachers in their early career and also those who work with early career teachers through videos and articles and resources so we're constantly producing new things to support the wider teaching profession but also then specific resources to support our members um, as we see our membership growing and strengthening and really benefiting from everything that we have to offer. So that's really a lovely segue so thank you Kat into Sam's role. So Sam you're the Vice President External for the Chartered College of Teaching and it'd be great to hear what you've been doing in that role. Great. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's it's an elected role. I was voted in that role. I was voted on to the council. Um, so I am a council member, which is sort of effectively makes me a trustee or a governor, if you like. Council members, you know, we sort of help set the strategy for the Charter College. So I'm involved in that. But then um, the role, the, the external VP role was the only one that I actually stood for. Um, because it, it was specifically designed, I think, to have that external engagement sort of sector crossing um, uh, kind of dimension to it. Um, I actually think it's quite important that the majority of the council is made up of practicing teachers, uh, which is why I wouldn't have stood for uh, just being a council member. Um, the, the specifics of this role actually work really well with my, my sort of day job, which is a very sort of external engagement, external facing role. I suppose, you know, at the very top level, it's it's about promoting 
the Charter College. It's about raising its profile, particularly in those early days, you know, as, as, a, as a new body, um, just getting more and more people to know about it, to understand it, and hopefully to engage with it. And I think because of my day job being, you know, professor at uh, Sheffield Hallam University, director of the institute there, um, and they're heavily involved in initial teacher training and um, early career support for teachers. Um, I feel I've been able to really focus on kind of cross-sector understanding, so collaboration, for example, with USET and with NASBIT, um, with with institutions who are involved in initial teacher training, and increasingly, you know, the focus will now be rightly onto early career teachers as well through the early career framework and the absolutely wonderful work that the Chartered College is doing in that space. The, the early career hub is an amazing thing and a fantastic resource, um, as Kat says, both for early career teachers themselves and for those who support them. I've been involved in, in you know, a lot of events, sometimes events I would have been attending anyway, where I can also wear a chartered college hat, but also some chartered college specific events. Um, also in, in, in the early days, involved in, in things like engaging with the DfE. Yeah, so it, it's, it's all about external engagement and it's an absolute privilege because obviously, you know, these guys, Alison and Kat and, and the rest of the workforce just do an amazing job. They do all the work and I just get to brag about it, which is uh, absolutely amazing. And rightly so. I mean, the Charter College of Teaching, and I'll say it again, has done so much in such a short period of time to raise the profile of what teachers do. And I know from my position as a as a school teacher who became an academic that educational research is one of the most collaborative areas of research um, and that anything that adds to our understanding to improve outcomes for children, because at the end of the day, it's about the students, the pupils, the learners, whichever sector you're in and whichever term you give them, it's about the quality of the experience that they have. And actually, we need to work as collaboratively as possible with the Chartered College of Teaching, with academic institutions that are engaging with educational research and other organisations that do educational research as well. So you may be the new kids on the block, but you're doing an incredible job in a very timely way. One of the things that has happened post the first phase of this pandemic has been an upsurge in people applying for training to teach. Our university, we've had um, something like 25% increase in student applications for secondary teacher training. So I don't know, Sam, is that something you'd like to comment on? Um, whether the, the way in which the profession is being perceived as a consequence of COVID and the voice of the teachers that is coming through is something that's affecting recruitment and retention, which links also into the early career framework and the DfE recruitment and retention strategy. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think the national picture and certainly local, locally here in, in Sheffield is, as you described, that there seems to be, uh, you know, a massive increase in interest in people joining the profession, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, we know that there are sort of negative reasons for that as well as positive ones. Um, you do tend to see this happening um, in times of recession, which is obviously where we're heading right now when people have less options. But I'm sure you're absolutely right that it's also on the back of, you know, some, some fantastic role modelling <laughs> that we've seen um, in response to COVID. Um, and I think that's come from a sort of number of different kind of directions as you say I think uh, a spotlight has been thrown on the fantastic work that 
schools have done and, and school leaders I've just got so so much respect for school leaders they've had so many incredibly difficult decisions to make in in, in, uh, in extremely challenging timescales and they've coped with it so well they've they kept the show on the road and um, you know they've, they've really made a massive contribution and I'm sure that is part of the effect I think there's also quite a lot in terms of homeschooling and um, I've certainly seen uh, lots uh, of comments from parents about homeschooling both in terms of admiration they have for their teachers in realizing it's actually a really complicated thing um, getting children to learn both in terms of their understanding, their, the kind of conceptual grasp of what it is that you're trying to teach them, but also motivation and all the other factors that we know come into, into bear. So I think for some people that, that's helped with admiration. For others, it's probably helped them to realise actually it's a really intellectual um, endeavour and, and, and really fascinating process to get involved in. So I hope that's one of the things that has also attracted people into the profession. Um, so what we now need to do though, now we've got this massive interest and hopefully in a really strong cohort of, um, of student teachers about to start this year, is make sure that we really support and develop them and hang on to them. You mentioned the uh, teacher recruitment and retention strategy. Um, the DfE published about 18 months ago now, which has given birth to a whole load of different things, including this big focus on early career support and development. Uh, and that's because they realise in that strategy and all the kind of work that went into it, that retention is, is the bigger problem, really. We've got a problem with recruitment, mainly because we have this problem with retention. We're not holding on to our teachers and, and we're losing them early in their career, in fact, earlier every year. So what we now really need to focus on is making sure that they're well supported in their initial teacher training year. And that is going to be a challenge in, in, in COVID circumstances. Um, I know that USET was uh, reporting a, a problem with placements, with schools um, agreeing to have trainees on placements. It's really important that the sector gets behind the importance of, of that professional support for trainee teachers and really does prioritise that. Otherwise, you're only storing up problems later on the road. We also know that when, when trainees are in school, they're going to be experiencing, you know, very different set of circumstances. Now, I personally think that could be a really enriching uh, sort of professional growth opportunity to see how schools are coping to the various different scenarios that are likely to face them over the coming year. Uh, but it's important that schools do that in a way that support student teachers and, and bring them with them on the journey. And then, of course, we've got the NQTs who are entering profession as, as newly qualified from September. And I know they're extremely anxious because they had their training year disrupted. And uh, what is normally a big professional growth period in the summer where usually they're in school and having lots of hands on experience felt like it was kind of broken. In fact, it wasn't broken because um, uh, that that time wasn't just dead. Uh, I know that people were doing fantastic things with it and including accessing the amazing resources the Chartered College again stepped up in an incredible timescale to develop this hub and, and produce lots of materials and resources on there, which I know the NQTs who are about to start um, have been making great use of. But it is really important as a sector, and this is everybody in it, including people in universities, um, recognise the importance of supporting these new teachers, both in our initial teacher training year, which uh, anybody who's ever heard me speak will know I think is just far too short for the expectations that are then put on them when they join the profession. 
which then leads on to why it's just as important that we continue to support and develop them and continue with this mindset of accessing the evidence and being a critical consumer of it, having that critical inquiring approach to it, which obviously Bira has a, a massive role in, in supporting. Um, so it's, for me, it's, it's a really interesting time. I think it's great we've got this big interest. We need to capitalise on it. But we need to make sure that we really, really support those people who are coming in and, and, and that we hang on to them when we turn them into the great professionals that we know they can become. You talked about the excellent work that school leaders have done in responding to COVID-19 and in, in preparing really for this academic year that's coming. So it'll be interesting to hear your views on teacher professionalism at this very challenging time. Alison. So I think uh, you're quite right. I think teachers have been totally amazing over the last number of months in the way that they have responded to the pandemic. Typically, year on year, we have headlines about exam results and you know teachers overinflating grades and so on and so forth. And uh, this year, there's a much greater criticism of government saying some of this is unfair. Why haven't you listened to teachers? And this is all about, for me, this is all about how do we make sure that the calm, reasoned, professional voice of teachers is more clearly heard. And that's essentially what our role is. It's to make sure that we can respond calmly, that we can help teachers to see that um, where, there, where there would be apparent injustice, that there's something that can be done about it. Teaching, as I've already said, is a very difficult job. So think about teaching, potentially wearing PPE, constantly wiping down your desk, whilst also feeling that there's a risk of closure any minute because of local lockdown, whilst trying to make sure that the you've got to re-motivate your students to prepare for exams that who knows whether they'll actually sit them or not. You know, there's so much that we've never, ever had to experience before in the teaching profession. And yet, I would still say it's the best job in the world. And we've got more and more people wanting to become teachers and let's hope that they're doing that because they are inspired by what they've seen and that they will continue to see. So I'm going to end with a final question really and it, again it's a challenging one. If you could recommend one report, just one report for school leaders, early career teachers or trainee teachers to read, what would it be? I think it's incredibly um, difficult to, to narrow it down to one. I might try and sneak two in and hope I don't get in too much trouble. Um, first of all, just, a, I guess, a bit of a plug for something we've produced, which is our Early Career Framework Handbook. This is obviously designed to be aligned particularly to the Early Career Framework, but we've heard from everyone who's been engaging with it that actually teachers all stages of their careers, um, current NQTs, have found it useful. Um, it's a fantastic book that we've published um, through SAGE, and it has a whole range of chapters that look at the different aspects covered in the Early Career Framework from assessment to managing well-being to uh, how pupils learn, understanding cognitive science, myths in education with fantastic contributors from classroom practitioners through to school leaders, through to academics and researchers working in these areas. So uh, I can't not mention that, but thinking a little bit wider than that, the other thing I'd definitely suggest is evidence-based education's great teaching toolkit evidence review, which is an update of, uh, of earlier work around what makes great teaching from, from Rob Coe and colleagues, a really fantastic uh, sort of summary of the best evidence we have about what makes really effective teaching. That's incredibly helpful. Thank you, Kat. And Sam, what, what would you recommend for 
uh, teachers going into uh, training now? So our, our beginning teachers. I definitely would recommend the Sutton Trust, what makes great teaching and the update on it. Also the early career handbook. Also, but really importantly, Read what your ITT providers, if you're a trainee teacher, have said you should read. They've put a lot of thought into that. And then a slightly left field one is something I used to recommend my trainees read right at the beginning of their, uh, their training year was um, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night. Uh, not an academic book at all, but really good for making you just think differently about the lives of children and, and different perspectives that they might have and the different ways they might see the world. So I'll, I'll, I'll go for that one. And Alison, what, what would you recommend? It could be, it doesn't have to be a, a report, it could be a paper or a book for school leaders and more experienced teachers. So I think uh, understanding young people is vital when you're a teacher. So I would recommend Kate Clanche's book, Some Kids I Taught and What They Taught Me. Kate Clanchy is a resident poet um, at the Spires Academy in Oxfordshire, and she works with migrant children, young people, and encourages their voice through poetry. And, uh, you know, the book just offers so much insight into what schools do when they get it right, but also helps us to think about what happens when schools get things wrong. And I think that's such an important part of what it means to be a teacher. These are fantastic recommendations. you know, and I think all of our uh, colleagues would benefit from reading any one of those. So thank you. I think if I'm going to plug educational research, um, one of the books that I always suggest to my students um, going into a master's in education is Judith Bell's Doing Your Research Project. It's a lovely, accessible introduction to thinking about the way in which we collect evidence and the way we use it and the way we analyze it. so I do like uh, Judith Bell's writing and the way the way it's easy to access. So Charter College of Teaching, thank you colleagues for this fantastic discussion. It's been a real privilege and a pleasure talking to you this morning. Are there any final comments that you'd like to make? Can I go first by saying I'm a member of BERA and I used to be on council. It's a great organisation. It would be great if more BERA members were to become affiliate members of the Chartered College of Teaching. The more the two organisations can sort of talk to each other, the better. And I would strongly recommend that BERA members join. That's great advice, Sam. I did the same thing. I was a founding member. I'm a founding member of the Chartered College of Teaching as well. So absolutely. Alison? If you've had 10 years teaching experience, become a fellow, because we're really keen that as others have said, that we combine the two worlds and that we we learn from each other. But also our community of fellows is growing and growing in strength and influence. And it would be brilliant to have some of the experienced research community as part of of that fellowship community as well. I don't know if Kat, you'd like to add anything to that. You know, one, one of the things that we really value at the Charter College and we really see as a huge opportunity is the way that we get teachers and academics working together. Um, I'm blown away every time we we, uh, put out a call for content or we put out a call for papers or we ask people to contribute to books or publications or to our work more widely, to our um, events, at at how willing uh, people all across the education profession are, whatever role they're working in, knowing that ultimately we all have the same goal of of really providing the best possible um, learning experiences for our children and young people by supporting teachers to 
be the most amazing profession and to really uh, love what they're doing and to have all of the support and recognition that they need. And so it's great to be able to speak to Vera members and, and be part of this podcast. I very much look forward to the day where we don't talk about the academic and school divide and that close to practice really does engage across all educational researchers an opportunity to work together and have the greatest impact that we can. So on that note, thank you very much to my guest today and I hope you've enjoyed it, those listening, as much as I have. Thanks for listening to the Bureau Podcast. Bureau membership starts from only £50. We offer competitively priced membership fees for those in academia, as well as discounted memberships for students and teachers. Visit our website for more details.